Lord Jesus Christ 28 years ago. I was age 22, so you can tell I'm beginning to grow a bit old. I'm 50 now, heading to 51. Uh, and the second best thing that happened to me was meeting my wife, Margaret, and marrying her. That has been a special blessing. So let's go into the word of the Lord. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 13 uh, to 16 is what we shall read. And now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is right? But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be troubled. But reverence the Lord Christ in your hearts, ready always to make a case to everyone who asks you for a reason concerning the hope which is in you. But do it with meekness and fear, having a good conscience in order that whenever they speak evil of you, those who abuse your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And, uh, you know, I've been watching the preaching of Pastor Drew here at um, Vintage Grace Church. And honestly speaking, I'm trying to fill very big shoes this morning because he's such a good preacher. But uh, let me have this to say. Uh, the purpose of uh, Peter in writing this first letter of his was uh, to encourage these dispersed believers. They were suffering intense persecution. And I want you to believe me that Peter, if anything, was the right person to encourage the church because he had been beaten, he had been threatened, he had been punished, he had been jailed for not doing anything evil, but for preaching the word of the Lord. So he had the moral authority. No, we don't have any better person to speak to, to us about you know, this living desperately. Living desperately, no matter what the circumstances. You know, Peter had gone through all this, and you know, he at one time challenged the people that you tell us whether it is better to, to listen to you rather than to listen to God. He, that was Peter. So this morning, I want us also to look at this portion where the Lord is speaking to us as Christians who are living in this day and hour. And uh, the scripture that I want to lay emphasis on is mainly the, the verse 15 that says, uh, uh, do not fear what they fear and do not be troubled, but reverence the Lord Christ in your hearts, ready always to make a case to everyone who asks you for a reason concerning the hope which is in you. And then he goes on to advise us to do it with meekness and fear and having a good conscience. So church, one thing I want you to realize is that the world that we are living in, many times we get people, the people of the world try to intimidate us. They try to put, you know, um, they, they talk to us. Some of them out of a good, a good motive may come and they may, you know, weaken your, your faith. They come and they will, you know, try to tell you how will you, have, how can you manage? I remember um, some time ago when the Lord first called us into the ministry and uh, we had to go to the village. Uh, how I got into this uh, spot, I was telling you earlier on, uh, we had a pastor, a missionary pastor uh, from Arizona and, you know, he gave, he planted seeds of vision in my heart. As a young Christian, I was a new believer. I joined that church. And, uh, you know, he 
his vision was to raise disciples who one day would be sent out to plant churches. So these seeds were planted in my heart. And then one day, I have just married my wife and uh, six months into our marriage, the job that I had as an accountant, I was working in Kampala, our capital city, and the job is gone. I looked for a job for two and a half years. You know, it was so hard being newly married, you know, and not having a job, you know, we could not pay our bills, we could not pay rent, we had to be chased from one house, we had to go to another one, you know, it was so difficult. In my desperation, I decided to seek the Lord. I poured my heart before, before God. It was not easy just, you know, waiting. My wife was very strong because she stood beside me, she didn't forsake me. I'm thankful for that. But I tell you, I prayed and poured my heart to God and I made a vow. I told the Lord, if you will ever open a door for me to get work, even if it is in the remotest part of our country, I will surely go. You know, when we were going to the village, people told me, you're going to die poor. You are going, you know, you're going into the village. What is there in the village? You know, you're going to minister among the rural poor, the ignorant, the uneducated. What chance have you? But you know, I had made this vow, so I went into this community I sought out a place. Immediately after I had been shown my job description at work, I went into this community, looked for a place, you know, and, you know, trusted God. We started our first church, and God was gracious. He knew I was still young, so he blessed us with a lot of harvest, a lot of harvest, easy as people came to the Lord in big numbers, and we were greatly encouraged. And then later the Lord led us to a different community. And as I was preaching in this second community, deep down in Rakai, the Lord brings this gentleman, and this gentleman listens me pre- to, to me preach. And he says, in his words, he thought I would be the next Billy Graham of Uganda. <laughs> well, that, that is another very tall order. Those were, you know, just with his thoughts. I tell you, he invited me to come to this country. But it wasn't easy. That was the year 2000. And so I continue working in this remote place. 2004, I'm going to fast forward. I can't tell you all the story. Um, 2004, I am at the crossroads. I have to leave the ministry I've been working for, and I'm asking myself, am I going to go back to accounting? That doesn't thrill my heart. The the seeds that had been planted, the vision that had been planted in my heart is what thrilled me, is what gave my life meaning. That's what I wanted. I wanted to preach the gospel. Then I remembered that this brother had invited me to, to the States. So I trusted God and said, let me go to the U.S. Embassy and apply for a visa. I didn't have a bank statement. I was so poor. You know, I and my wife, we sat together. We agreed we sell all our possessions. We had nothing but six cows. We had lived in the village for four and a half years. So we sold the six cows that we had, and the money was not enough. We borrowed. A friend borrowed, uh, lent, lent me money. And I go to the embassy, and the embassy, you know, they, they looked at me. I didn't have any bank statement, and they just... The gentleman just liked me. I told him, I want to go to America. I want to look for partners. I've got this vision. I want to help, you know, uh, preach the gospel. I want to help farmers. I want to bring modern techniques of farming into our country. And he decides to give me a six-week visa. And he told me, report back to the embassy when you come back to Uganda. That was 2004. I get this visa. I don't have money for the ticket. The visa was almost expiring. You know, days were going until a friend bailed me out and lent me money. I come to this country. Whew. It was a big cultural shock, as you can imagine. <laughs> a friend drove me around. Six weeks took me to different churches, different schools. It was difficult to get even time at any, at one of, at any of the churches. 
You know, he wasn't really a minister, you know, that had a lot of influence, but he tried his best. And at the end of the six weeks, we had met many people. Among them was Pastor Andy, who was the missions pastor at Hessel Church, along with Pastor Rich. And, you know, they listened to me. They called me into the office, and they listened to me. I was passionate about this vision. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to give my life, you know, to a purpose, to a cause, the cause of the gospel. I felt this is what I was called to do. And, you know, they listened to me. I told them I have planned two churches so far. I would want to plant many more if I can be supported. They told me, you know what? We like what you're telling us, but, you know, we can't deal with an individual. Go back home. Go and do your homework. Get a ministry registered. Have a board that you're accountable to. You know, when you come back, we may consider. So we did many things. I went all around. At the end of the six weeks, I hadn't much. I hadn't even raised the money that people had lent me. And, you know, relatives were calling me. And they were telling me, now that you have got a visa, run away from the white people. Go to Boston. Go to Maryland. Go, and we shall get you work. When you work, you know, you'll be able to send your wife money. You'll be able to support your children. This is your chance to get out of poverty. This is your chance you know, to give your children a good education. There was, there was so much pressure on me. I got confused in, in, the, in the midst of it all. I would call my wife and tell her, what do you think? And you know, what is in your heart? And, she, and I, I just she said, I feel I have got to go back home and preach the gospel. You do what is in your heart. That's what my wife advises me to do. So then at the end of it all, I said I have to go back home. Though I have debts, though I have no work, my wife had gone back to her parents' home with my children. We had three kids at, at the time, and a fourth was coming. So I go back home, but going back to what? I go back home anyhow. I, I report back to the embassy. They welcome me back home. Anyway, I then say, now what? People called me a fool. They... In, in Luganda, they were saying, In other words, are you a son of a rich man? Hey, those are sons of rich men who can afford to visit America for six weeks. What have you got? You know, I could not even pay back the people who had lent me money. The, some of them had given me a condition that you have got to go first go and work, and then you send us back our money. I had no money to pay them back. Things were difficult, but I had already given too much. I said, now that I've given this much, I'm even willing to die, even if it means dying. I had no means of going to the village where we were planting churches. I was living in Makindi, a, a suburb of Kampala. So I borrowed a bicycle from Pastor Chris. Chris lent me a bicycle. And so I would ride around 20 miles. I would leave on Friday. Around, so I would set off in the morning, around 10 in the morning. And I would get in the village around 5. I would go slowly with carry bottles of water, stop and drink water and continue on my way. I was that desperate. I said, come and buy and buy. Come what may. And, you know, we went into the village. I could not go back to the church we had planted. So I said, we need to plant another church because I don't ordain young men to take over. Then how do you go back and tell them that I am back also now as the pastor? So <laughs> I said, we've got to, to begin a new work. We planted a new church under a tree. We had nothing. We're just under, under the tree. But we were excited about the gospel. We had nothing, but we, were, we had such great unity. We'd, we'd sleep on Silas. Some of you know Silas. We'd stay in his house. And then spend the whole night in prayer. On Saturday morning, we would go and preach the gospel. Then I would go back to Silas's house, who was staying at that village. And then on Sunday, go and do the service. And after the service, I would ride my bicycle back into town. At times, they would give me food. At times, they would not, depending on the people in the village, because they were poor. Anyhow, after one year, you know, I 
So I meet a friend and he tells me, trust God to go back to America. I go back to my friend. He, he tells me, yes, that's a good idea. I tell him, lend me money. He says, no, you haven't paid me back the money. <laughs> so I said, what am I going to do? Then a, a, a pastor friend of mine had just come from London. He had, was coming from Bible school. And I heard he was in town and he was about to leave. So I rushed to him. I told him, can you lend me money? I want to go to America. And then he says, you know what? I don't have money, but let me send you to a friend of mine. Now a friend of his, a pastor friend of his had a, a conference. And he had Americans who had come and ministered in that conference. And they had left him with money to buy Bibles and money to buy bicycles. And uh, when I come and I get to him, he says, you know what? This is one thing I've never done before. My wife has a shop, let me tell you. But I've never taken one single dime from the money given to me for the ministry and given it to my wife to add to the capital of our shop. But because you labor in the villages, because of the vision you say you have, I'm going to trust you. If you, if you, if you steal from me, it will be between you and God. So he takes me to the bank. He didn't know me. He took me to the bank. And you know, he withdrew money. He handed it to me and then walked away. It was as if I was, you know, had departed with an angel. You know, angels, a real angel. I got the money. Went to the embassy. They gave me this time a two-year visa. Went and bought an air ticket. This time, my wife was able to accompany me to the airport. But you know, I had only enough money to take me to the airport. When I was parting with my wife, I left her with 5,000 Uganda shillings. That is one and a half dollars. And she had to remain with our four children. That, that was the situation. I had a case that someone had given to me. The case that I had, you know, as they were putting it onto the plane, somehow it fell off. It fell off the, the, the whatever they, they used to put the bags on the plane, and it split open. They told me I could not board the plane unless I've taken care of my, my bag. And I didn't have even a single shilling on me. I just went, I met a gentleman who was talking on the phone, and you know, I was like, I told him, please help me. And he helped me. The shoes I was putting on were borrowed. The shirt I was putting on, someone had just given it to me. But I was saying, I must go. This is the, my life's purpose. And uh, I come back to America. This time round, when I get to America, I go to the church that Pastor Andy was. They are surprised to see me because they didn't expect to see me again. The time they saw me, they saw that was the last they are seeing of me. Because I had sold everything the first time. And, but here I am, I've come back. And God blessed that second meeting. You know, they told me, how much are you in debt? And I told them. They told me, now, all your debts are paid. We're also adopting you to be our missionary to your own country. That was the beginning of God blessing our ministry. So, church, what the point I'm trying to, to raise, we need to be desperate about God. If we shall accomplish anything, Peter was that desperate. You know, Peter... After being arrested and beaten and threatened, he was told not to speak again in that name, but nothing could stop Peter from continuing to give the reason of the hope, that hope that we have. Church, we have a living hope, and we have got limited time. We, the Bible says in John chapter 9 and verse 4 that we must do the work of him that sent Christ while it is still there because night is coming when no one can work. You have limited time. You have one life to lead. And it's better you put that life to a cause. And I tell you, there's no better cause than the gospel. I want you to believe me. God has been faithful to us. Um, allow me to get into the word. 
Verse 15 says, but reverence, but reverence the Lord Christ in your hearts, ready always to make a case to everyone who asks you for a reason concerning the hope which is in you. You know, he uses that word, but. In other words, to contrast, instead of fearing, you know, he says, don't fear what they fear, and do not be troubled by what the other people take to you, not to be as very important. You know, they told me that you die of poverty. If I had feared poverty, you know, I shudder to think if I had forsaken that vision, that, the seeds of the vision that had been planted into my life, if I, if I had feared. You know, Jesus, while speaking, he told his disciples that if a man, you know, tried to save his life, he will end up losing it. No? The, the words he used were actually... Um, let me get them. Jesus, while speaking to disciples, told them that unless one is willing to give up his life for the gospel, he would end up losing it. But if one tried to save his life, he would end up you know, if, if you try to, if you lose your life, you would save it. If you try to, to save your life, you end up losing it. Church, there is a price that we must be willing to pay. If we are to reach out, if we are to touch this generation, there is something we, we must do. We must arise to the need of the hour. We have one life to live, and we must live it on purpose. If we are to sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, in other words, we must set him apart. We must make him the number one. We must make him our priority. We must make him our everything. If we are to overcome the fear, we must be ready to, to give of our lives, of our time, of our talent, of our everything to serve God's purpose. As parents, you know, you can raise children in the ways of the Lord. We can raise children in the ways of the Lord. But setting apart God in one's heart, this is something our children will have to do. This is something we all have to do. You, you get to a time when you have to get to the crossroads. Uh, this brings to memory uh, a scripture in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 to 26. The Bible talks of the man Moses, the patriarch Moses, that Moses, when he was of age, when Moses became of age, you know, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the reproach or, or you know, to take on the reproach of Christ because he looked to his reward. He looked to a reward. You know, Moses had been raised in royalty. Moses had been taken in as, you know, Pharaoh's daughter, the, 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 the son of, 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 of Pharaoh's daughter. He had all the privileges, but when he grew Stephen, while sharing the gospel, just before he was stoned, you know, say, tells us that the man Moses was mighty in word and deed. In other words, Moses had access to the best universities in Alexandria, in Egypt. Moses was trained in the best, you know, military universities. He was a strong man. He, he, all, the whole world was before him. But just before he launched out, before he probably would become even the next pharaoh, probably, you know, he comes face to face with the fact that he's not Egyptian. He's an Israelite. And there is a cause because the children of Israel are being tortured. And then, you know, he decides to give up all. He gives up everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of, of the God of Israel. Church, there are numerous examples. I think of Daniel. You think of Daniel, that young boy who was taken 
from, you know, the nation of Israel, taken into Babylon. Daniel is, you know, put under the leader of the chief eunuch. In other words, he could easily have been castrated along with all the other people who were in the palace, all the other captives. And he's now in this new environment, in exile. And you know what? They even changed his name. They tried to change his identity, to change everything about his God. They gave him a Babylonian name that could have problem, some connection to a Babylonian God. But in spite of all this, the Bible tells us that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the delicacies of the king's table. And he calls his prayer warriors, he prays his team, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, we need to pray. And you know, they decide we, we shall not eat that food. And at the end of the day, they look better, and they are also wiser. Scriptures tell us about this Daniel. You know, one thing we need to realize, Daniel was a marketplace minister. He was not a pulpit minister. There needs to be a working together. The Bible tells us that the Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is such a great harvest. In Matthew chapter 20, when you read from verse 1, Jesus gives us a wonderful parable. He tells us that there was an owner of a vineyard, and this, this vineyard owner went to the marketplace. He found people standing idle. And then he told them, why are you here idle? And they respond, because no one has hired us. And then he says, go into my vineyard. So they go into the vineyard. Three hours later, he comes back. He finds other people standing idle. And he asks them, why are you here? They say, because no one has hired us. And then he tells them, you also go into the vineyard. He comes back at noon. The same thing is, is happening. He tells them, you also go into the vineyard. Even later, before sunset, he met others and he sent them again in, into the vineyard. The point of this parable, I believe with my whole heart, is the magnitude of the work that needs to be done. The magnitude of the harvest. Every single disciple, every single believer needs to get involved. This work can't be done by only the pulpit ministers. This work can't be accomplished by only the pastors. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has been given that commission to go and make disciples. The Bible says we are the light. We all have this responsibility of shining out in our communities. We all have the responsibility of sharing our faith. Church, you just look at it. They were standing idle. They were in the marketplace because no one had given them the opportunity to work. No one had given them a sense of purpose. No one had directed them. No one had given them what to do. I believe that's why God has raised Vintage Grace Church. I believe that's why God has sent Pastor Drew and his team to envision, to envision the church, to envision this community for a purpose. Men and women need to be shown what to do. Men and women need to be shown to how to put their lives to, to a cause. Men and women, boys and girls, need to be able to be empowered. You need to come here. That's why you come here in the church, to be empowered, such that when you go out, you may shine. When you go out, you may live that life, and people will see the hope that is within you. And then they will come and ask the reason for that hope. The reason for that hope. We have a living hope. We have a living hope in Jesus. I tell you, church, there is such an opportunity. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. You need every single person, whether you are called to that business institution, whether you are called to government, whether you are called in that school, wherever your station is in life, we all need to be put to work. That's why God is raising men of vision, men who have a passion, who can 
plant seeds of vision because we are all vision containers. We all need to be vision containers. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8 that when Jesus had risen from the dead, he, 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 he went up. You know, and, but before, before going up, the Bible says he led captivity captive. You know, he, he then he, he gave gifts to men. He, in the church, he placed apostles, pastors, you know, teachers of the word. All these for the single purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints are the ones who are supposed to do the work of the ministry. There's been so much idleness in the church, and we need to get rid of this idleness. That's why we need men of vision. That's why we need to pray for men of vision. That's why we need men like Pastor Drew, who will bring out the word in such a way that will excite the hearts of believers, that will plant vision. You know, vision is like a yoke. Jesus, talking about vision, said, take my yoke and learn from me. You know, vision, it keeps you moving in a particular direction. You know, a yoke, when, when an animal is yoked to, to a plow, they just move in the same direction. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke. He knows that we have been laboring outside there in futile things. We have been looking for money. We have been looking for fame. We have been looking for popularity. And he says, come to me, all ye who are labor and are heavy laden. Because those things don't satisfy. Those things don't last. Those things are going to pass away. But he gives us a much better purpose to live for. You know, I like Jesus. He met, he met, he met Luke. Come again. He met Peter. Sorry. He met Peter. We're talking about Peter. In Luke chapter 5. And Peter had spent a night of catching nothing. Peter had labored the whole night. And in the morning they were washing their nets. They had gone through a night of catching nothing. And Jesus comes and he asks Peter whether he could use the boat. He sits in the boat and he teaches the word. After he had taught for a while, he tells Peter, you go deeper. And then he tells him, let out the nets. Peter reluctantly tells him, you know, we tried all night. We labored all night. But because at your word, we shall just let us just let down the nets. So when Peter lets down the nets, they catch such a big miraculous catch of fish that... You know, Peter, is, he tells Jesus, please go away from me because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus tells him, Peter, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. So Jesus plants vision in the heart of Peter. Peter grasps the vision. The vision enters. Peter leaves everything and he follows Jesus. Next time we see the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 6, he meets Peter. And tells him, Simon, I'm giving you a new name. You're going to be called Peter. Simon, who was the former, who, the former, the Simon who, who, who became Peter, was an impulsive man. You know, who is someone, if you read him and follow him in the Bible, he's a very interesting character. He was always impulsive. He acted on, you know, on the feelings of the moment. When he would say, yes, can I come? Hey, come. And then he would try coming. And then, you know, immediately he's thinking, I'm thinking, Lord. Another time, you know, Jesus tells him that, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He says, never. Even if it means dying with you, I'm going to die with you today. Then the next time, he's denying Jesus three times. You know, Jesus once, while talking about John the Baptist, he told the people, who did you go out in the wilderness to see? Because throngs flung from the cities, and they were going into the wilderness. That is my dream. That is my prayer. That one day people will flock from the cities of Kampala, from the cities that we have back at home, and look out. 
into the village for vision, men and women of vision. And that's our dream as Frontier Force Bible Institute, to raise men and women who have a vision. Coming back to, coming back to John the Baptist, Jesus spoke of him as, did you, he asked them, did you go out to see someone who's dressed in royal robes? Or did you go out to see a, wind, a reed blown by the wind? And a reed blown the, by the wind was a very good description of Peter. He was someone who could not keep his word. He was someone who, you know, was like, just like this, acted on the impulses and feelings and emotions of the moment. That was Peter. But then Jesus tells him, I know you, Simon, but you're going to become Peter. Peter, which means a rock, which means a small rock. So he's saying, you are going to become a rock. You are going to become firm. You are going to become, he was planting vision into Peter, giving him a picture of what he could become. That's why I like Vintage Grace, because it excites the believers. It excites the people in this community that they can become something. They, their lives can be put to a higher purpose. Their lives can become valuable, can be used for extending the kingdom of God. Church, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22, Jesus prayed for this, for this guy, Peter. He told him, Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan demanded, can you imagine? This must have been a prayer. I believe Jesus was wrestling in prayer. And then he says, Satan demanded to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. He tells him, I've prayed for you. We need to have prayer people. Church, we cannot survive without prayer. This vision, this church, this great church will, will thrive if you will commit yourselves to prayer. Prayer team, commit yourselves to pray. You know what? Jesus prayed for Peter that when you turn, please, Peter. Jesus was continuing to plant vision in Peter, encouraging him along the way. And then what do we see? Later, after Peter has blown it, he has blown it all, he has denied Jesus three times, Jesus still reaches out for Peter. He tells him, after he has risen, that go and tell my disciples that I'm going before them in Galilee, you'll meet me in Galilee. And then he says, and Peter, he includes Peter. In all the other instances, Peter's name is mentioned first, but on this occasion, he's mentioned the last. Why? Because he had backslidden. Anyhow, later, the Lord restores Peter. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Feed my, my sheep. Feed my lambs. You know? And he restored, he brought him back into ministry. Then later, what do we see? In the book of Acts, we see that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the church was in prayer. The believers were in prayer. There was no church. They were in prayer. But they were waiting in the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father. So the church is born in prayer. The church is born in prayer. Now, that is a spiritual truth. If we are to do the works of the kingdom, we need to be prayerful people. Coming back to Peter. Peter stands up on this day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit had come. And he preaches a sermon. He preaches the first sermon of the New Testament. He preaches the first sermon of the church. And can you believe it? 3,000 souls come to the Lord. I believe for every single denial that he denied Christ, Peter was able to, to, you know, to revenge by bringing 1,000 souls into the kingdom in one single sermon. Church, it's possible if we become men and women of vision. If we become passionate about sharing the hope that we have, Peter stood up and expounded and explained what was happening. Church, we are in a race against time. We have limited time, and we have got 
a great work to do. There needs to be a partnership between marketplace, marketplace ministers and pulpit ministers. This is what we are trying to forge back home in Uganda. We've realized the pulpit ministers alone won't be able to accomplish this task. Because when we come here to church on Sunday, we put on our best. We are very humble. You know, we are very smart. If any someone, you know, is to step on your toes, you will just, you know, it's okay, sister, it's okay, brother. But out there, when we go back, where we live our lives, that's where God wants us to shine. That's why he brings us into these four walls, that we may be energized, that we may be equipped, that we may be empowered, that we may be envisioned, and go out and be, as Pastor Andrew was saying, the living, the living what? Hope. We need to be that living hope. We need, people need to look at our lives and see that joy. Church, it is very exciting. I was talking about Daniel. Daniel was a marketplace minister, as I wrap up. Daniel was a marketplace minister. And you know, Daniel, can you believe it? After he's brought from exile, he's brought, brought into, into Babylon. They, he's castrated, they remove his name, but you know, he refuses to defile himself. Scriptures tell us that one time King Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream. And in the dream, so many things happen, but the king cannot remember the dream he had. So he calls all the astrologers, he calls all the sorcerers, he calls all the witch doctors, he calls the, you know, you name it, the Chaldeans, all together to come and tell him the dream he dreamt and then thereafter tell him the interpretation of the dream. And you know, they told him that it is not among men. No one, only the gods, only the gods can do that. But the king was adamant. He said, I've given you one law. I'm going to kill all of you. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, I'm giving you limited time. Go and tell and think and come back and tell me the dream and its interpretation. And then Daniel, this marketplace minister, this man who had been called to serve in the, in the, in the pharaohs, I mean in the, in the king's palace, enters into prayer. He calls Sadrach, he calls Mesach, he calls Abednego. They pray, they pray. After they have prayed, God reveals to him the dream. And he goes before the king and he tells him the dream and its interpretation. So Daniel is used of God to spare the lives of all these sorcerers, of all these astrologers, of all these Chaldeans, of all these wise men in Babylon. And the king promotes Daniel and sets him over all these guys to be their chief prefect. Now just stop there for a moment. If it were you, and you get such an opportunity, God has been gracious to you and has revealed to you the dream and has given you the interpretation and you are able to spare the lives of so many people. And then you are set over them to be their boss. To be the, their supervisor. What do you do? I believe Daniel sees this opportunity. He shared with them about this God of his. Who reveals dreams. Who reveals visions. He told them about his God. And these wise men. These astrologers, I believe, are the Magi of Matthew chapter 2. The wise men that came looking after the star. Looking for where the son, was, the son of God was to be born. Because they came from the east. Babylon was in the east, surely. And you know what? 
they also benefited from the writings of the prophet Daniel. Daniel had spoken about an eternal kingdom that would come and supersede all other kingdoms and a kingdom that will, that will last forever and ever. Church, Daniel was a marketplace minister. Jesus, while referring to Daniel, refers to him as a prophet. Now that surprised me because I thought prophets only stand at pulpits. But we don't see Daniel at any one time serving in the temple. Daniel was a politician. Daniel was in the king's court. Daniel was prime minister. He served different kings at different times. But he was used of God. So there is some work for us to do, marketplace ministers. Too much time we are idle in the market. Too much time has gone by. That's why God has raised up men to give us vision. That's why God has brought Vintage Church to plant vision in our life. Jesus planted vision into Peter. And Peter planted vision into the the, the early believers. We too need to plant vision and to be containers of vision. God, when heaven looks down on earth, God sees something happening. He sees his, his great commission being accomplished. He sees his work being done. You know what? Daniel brought the kingdom of God into the kingdom of Babylon. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, brought the kingdom of God into the kingdom of Egypt. Likewise, in this day and hour, God is looking for men and women who will bring the kingdom of God into corporate America. God is looking for men and women who will bring the kingdom of God into Eldorado Hills. God is looking for men and women who will bring the kingdom of God into the villages of Uganda. Church, this is something exciting. This is a vision, I believe, that comes from the heart of God. God wants you and I to be involved. And we have limited time. Why don't we pray? King of glory, I want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given me. And Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray, Lord, that they may be excited to share about this living hope that we have, to share about the reason, Father, of the hope that lives in us, that keeps us rejoicing, even in times of trial, even in times of uh, going through difficult things. Father, it is my prayer we may be passionate. The scripture has told us not to fear what other people fear. Father, I pray that we may sanctify Christ in our hearts. We may give Christ the first most position in our lives. And Father, I pray that you may bless Vintage Grace Church to accomplish a lot in this community. In Jesus' name I pray.